Let this moment radicalize you. We need to focus on voting for Joe Biden. I don't care if you like him or not. This is not over. You know, we win in November. I'm sorry to tell you, you're not going back to brunch. We're not going back to brunch. That's not happening. What is she talking about? Um, I didn't catch the brunch reference either. I don't know. Was that straight out of Nancy? Was that code to answer Nancy Pelosi's good morning? Um, it's Sunday. <laughs> uh, so and mi- we're not going out to brunch. And then we know that the spies are the... The donkey my- goes to brunch at midnight. The crazy donkey. And then they exchange the microfilm. A couple of pieces of new information on the whole Supreme Court thing. But the biggest of the day is Mitt Romney saying, I'm I'm open to voting and it's basically a yes vote, which means it's going to happen. He also went on to say this about the whole Supreme Court thing. I recognize that we uh, uh, we may have a court which has more of a uh, conservative bent than it's had over the last uh, few decades. But my liberal friends have over many decades gotten very used to the idea of having a liberal court. And that's not written in the stars. Uh, and I know that a lot of people are saying, gosh, we don't want that change. I understand the energy associated with that perspective. But it's also appropriate for a nation, which is, if you will, center-right, uh, to have a court which reflects uh, center-right points of view, which, again, are not changing uh, the, the law from what it states, but instead following the law and following the Constitution. The court throughout the 60s and 70s was wildly left. Nobody ever talks about that. He dropped a G-bomb. I mean, you can tell he's passionate. He said, gosh. Gosh. He dropped a G-bomb there. So Golly. Uh, breaking, Pat Toomey, Republican senator, swing state Republican, said he supports moving on the Trump Supreme Court nominee. So any of the possible wobblers are on board now, other than your two, Murkowski and Collins. But you don't need a ball. Um, you could lose three. And... They've only lost two, and everybody else seems to be on board. So it's a done deal, all right? It, 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 it's all over but the crying or the cheering, depending on which side you're on. Or the unspeakably savage, inhumane hearings. I don't think that's going to happen. But um, Senator Schumer just to, uh, said, <clears throat> if the Senate majority over the course of six years steals two Supreme Court seats using completely contradictory, contradictory rationales, how could we expect to trust the other side again? Steals is a heck of a word, yeah. given the fact that not helpful. Both times it was constitutional. There wasn't anything illegal happening at all. Um, yeah, well, everybody's picking and choosing their narrative. The oh, fact right. that Joe Biden was staunchly opposed to a last year, a final year Supreme Court appointment in 1992, then was staunchly for it in 2016, and is now staunchly against it in 2020. Doesn't that tell you anything you need to know? We had a great conversation with Adam White of the American Enterprise Institute. He's one of the smartest people in the Supreme Court in America. And and you're going to hear everything you need to know about the Supreme Court, how it works, packing the court, all that sort of stuff later this hour. So that's 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 good. Yes. Good content right there. Hey, speaking of the potentially brutal hearings, we posed the question, women, what would you think? How would you react to uh, Kamala Harris just savaging Amy Coney Barrett, if indeed she is the uh, the nominee? Uh, that whole because women dealing with women is is different than I thought it was as a young man. I've come to understand there are dynamics there dudes just don't get. I mean, we get them a little bit, but not really. Uh, just a variety of the responses. 
Uh, Eileen, I don't have a lot of respect for women tearing down other women, period. The viciousness turns me off, and I just look at the aggressor as bitchy high school drama queens. Um, uh, it really puts me off. There's uh, For some, I will, I will revel in someone else tearing into you just to watch the humiliation, mean girl behavior, and lefties seem to engage in that a lot. Uh, let's see. Bert, who's a gal, B. Uh, women are horrible to other women. Slow torture of snide innuendo and deflating comments over a long period. Men are different. They will ignore or kill. Instant cleanup. Uh, as a woman, I, ho- if, I hope if Kamala drills Barrett, especially regarding her religion or children, etc., that more people will see her for the horrible person she is. As a woman, it's terrible to see anyone go mean girl on anyone. Liberal women are really good at going mean girl. It's funny how often that's uh, expressed. And then finally, this is a dude, Joe, waiting in where he wasn't asked. He's mansplaining. He's manspreading. Weren't we told that having women in Congress would make it more mature and civil? <laughs> yeah. That's kind of funny. Yeah. You know, it's through the years, as we've discussed that topic, the, the people who have really weighed in and said, don't be ridiculous, have been women, entirely women. Uh, a lot more on the whole Supreme Court thing coming up later this hour, as I said. Uh, new poll out, Black Lives Matter support has dropped 12% over the summer, according to a new poll. As more people, I think, figure out what the actual organization is. Also, the Congressional Budget Office yesterday released their long-term ter- budget outlook, projecting a 2050, 2050 population 2.8% smaller than the one it projected last year. Why would they be thinking the population of America is going to be almost 3% smaller than they did last year? They cite declining birth rates, net immigration paired with an increased mortality from Alzheimer's, suicide, and drug overdoses. Nice. As the cause of the 11 million person discrepancy. I'd like to know the numbers on all that. I'll bet a lot of it is the suicide and drug overdose based on the trend lines. Well, one percent of the population i'm bad at this would one percent be three hundred thousand and they're talking about well three hundred fifty thousand and they're talking about a three percent decline over their previous estimate that's a heck of a lot of people either never born or you know suicide but, dementia etc well the trend lines on suicide and drug over overdoses are, are not good no they are not they are awful and they have been shoved along by the covid19 shutdown uh, Don Lemon on CNN called for scrapping the Electoral College. Don Lemon is an idiot. We're going to have to dangerous. blow up the entire system. You, wow. You combine that with the uh, AOC saying we have to be radicalized. Blow up the system. You're playing with fire over our dead bodies. N- nothing is off the table. There's a lot of really irresponsible talk. Those are people who believe that Everything will stay within a certain uh, framework no matter what. And there are a lot of people on the right and left who believe that. Mm-hmm. Um, everything will be, we'll still be America. We'll still hold together. We won't have a civil war. We won't fall apart. We won't go broke. We won't, you know, we'll still you know, more or less be what we are. Mm-hmm. And that is obviously wrong. Um, the Electoral College going away would lead to a civil war. Actual fighting. Yeah, I think Absolutely it would. Absolutely Eventually would. it would, yeah. And secessions, it would. Yeah, yeah. Starting with secessions, starting with, and I would be on board with this too, as a guy who grew up in the middle of the country. 
that's not my president. What's what's this government got to do with me? Right. I had no role in this whatsoever. You Why win, am I answering to that? You win New York City, couple cities in Florida, San Francisco, and Los Angeles. Uh, you will never lose a presidential election. In short, the sophisticated Northeast and the West Coast. You will, because of the population density, you will never lose an election. You will have one party rule, and the people in you know most of the states will feel utterly unrepresented. And then you have uh, a crumbling of the union. Absolutely. And I don't know if Don Lemon is just so stupid he doesn't understand that, or ignorant, or he doesn't care. He just wants the power. I, I would never advocate some sort of system where the Republicans won every election. Never, never, never. That's incredibly dangerous. Right. I, I I feel like there's not a lot of feeling of being represented as it stands. Uh, by what? Middle America? Or, or just people in general. Like I, I, Me, for one, like I don't feel represented by any person I see in government. Mm. Um, yeah, yeah. You're at the middle stage of cynicism. <laughs> <laughs> Soon you'll move on to the liberating feeling that as awful as it is, it's as good as it gets. So they might as well be a little closer to me in policy. But um, it's all very discouraging. I hate to discourage you, folks. I apologize. Yeah, I'm trying to find something that's not quite such a downer. Fisher Price releases my first peaceful protest playset with a house you can actually burn down. No, they didn't. Uh, the kid-sized clubhouse will come with several varieties of spray paint so kids can tag the tiny building with their own empowering slogans. It will also be made out of cardboard, allowing the cute little tykes to burn the whole thing down if their demands are not met. That's a child. Here at Fisher-Price, we're steadfastly committed to social justice, said toy designer Camden Flufferton. We need to teach our kids what democracy looks like, and there's no better example of democracy in action than violent vandalism and arson. That is, of course, from the Babylon Bee. Um, that's pretty funny. Nicely done, my friends. Um, the CIA thinks that Putin himself is directing the foreign impl- influence operation going on with our election stuff right now. Putin himself has got his is involved in it. Well, I'd say that's, that there's no higher project for him as he tries to bring down the yeah, West. I suppose you would, and if you think yeah. you're really good at it, and I'm sure he does, because yeah. he probably is. I suppose you would be involved. Uh, that among uh, a lot of other great things, including that fantastic discussion on the Supreme Court later this hour on this very program. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. During a rally on Saturday, President Trump said the friendship between late Supreme Court justices Ruth Bader Ginsburg and Antonin Scalia is, quote, a powerful reminder we can disagree on fundamental issues while treating each other with decency, dignity, and respect, added Trump. And somebody needs to tell that to Farton Joe Biden. <laughs> wow. Wow, that did not elevate the discussion. <laughs> Made me laugh, though. <laughs> Come on. Oh, oh, that's boy. pretty funny. Oh, Joe Biden, who allegedly is going to undergo a uh, medical procedure, according to the president. Before they gave him a big fat shot in the ass. And... <laughs> oh, boy. That's Trump in his rally last night. He he believes he is uh, he's positing that they given a uh, some sort of injection to the vice president before he goes on the debate stage that kind of livens him up a bit. 
with the well as he described it a uh, what was that clip we just played that it was a medical term I don't recall. they gave him a big fat shot in the ass yeah, mm-hmm. it's a medical term mm-hmm. <clears throat> <laughs> it's only a very select few things that get administered in that particular right. manner how, how big <laughs> we mock making a big deal out of round numbers around here but we passed 200,000 deaths from COVID this past hour. It would From, seem, with, mm, Joe's quibbling with the numbers, and I rightly so. I'm a quibbler. Rightly so. I'm a skeptic. Um, but I remember uh, having a conversation with somebody when this very began. And um, talking about, you know, various things that kill people, car wrecks, this, that, the flu. You know, car wrecks in the flu kill 90,000 people every year. Mm-hmm. He, and this person said, oh, it, it, I think it's going to be multiples of that. I thought, no way. couple hundred thousand people? No way. Yeah. I also, if you'd have told me at the beginning we're going to shut down all these businesses for six months, I don't think anybody would have gone along with that. Right. Right. You can't do that. You Very can't, few. Almost every business say, well, you can't do that. I would I will go out of business. That's just a guarantee. You're telling me I have to close my business today and fire everybody. Right. Well, in the math no one's doing, partly because it's difficult and partly because they don't have the uh, the cojones to do it, is if the shutdown saved 100,000 lives, but it cost 90,000 lives, despair, suicide, abuse, uh, lacking cancer screenings, not going to the hospital with a stroke, and we don't know what those numbers are, but... That's just a, a change of a hundred of ten thousand people. Would we crush the economy, perhaps for decades to come, to save those ten thousand people? No. Well, if not, then well, if the answer is yes, then why don't we have a twenty mile per hour national speed limit? Right. Uh, the question was asked: How was your summer? This has end up being kind of a funny conversation because I'd have been in the bad to worst ever category, while uh, the majority was average to good for their summer. How was the summer of twenty twenty? We got this text: Best summer ever. Well, you're in the 2% of best summer ever. Best summer ever, $21,425 net income increase, thanks to COVID relief. Made twenty-one grand extra over three months. Wow. Free Princess Cruise after full refund. And expenses to get home following late canceled cruise. Free $1,000 stove from Lowe's after a huge screw-up of her online order. <laughs> a close friend got a heart transplant and doing great. Good for you. Listening I'm, I'm on, happy for you. Listening on KEX in Portland. Thank you very much. Fantastic. Yeah, so best summer ever. There's one of your best summer ever. People, I was wondering, who are you 2% that the summer of 2020 was the best summer of your lives? Whistling zippity freaking doodah there. Can you name the best summer of your life? I can. I've got it. It's very clear in my head. I won't explain why, but. Oh, man. I'd have. I compare everything to that one summer. Oh, really? It's the bar. I, I'll never be reached again. I'd have to think about it, but. Yeah, I'd have to think about it. You know, the summer between my senior year of high school and my freshman year of college was pretty great. God, I worked like crazy. All I did was work. Mm. <laughs> Work-life balance, Jack. It's important. I did not have a work-life balance. Look I just into worked. It. Yeah, I, I worked. But at least I didn't make much. I worked enough, but yeah, I met the girl of my dreams. Was still playing baseball at that point. Uh, knew where to get a beer if needed. Good times. Um, of course, our favorite uh, pizza restaurant to go for beer would serve you if you looked to be 11 or older. <laughs> Those were different times. 
And how many people died as a result of that or had their lives ruined? I don't know. It's it's possible some did. It is possible some did. Drove I, into a tree or whatnot. I don't know. M- mine was fine. Uh-huh. But you don't know anybody whose life was ruined? No. Yeah. No, I do not. Hmm. Interesting. A pizza restaurant was right near the first head shop in Westmont, Illinois. And I remember because my dad was reading the local newspaper. He was in the living room. I was in the living room. And I'll never forget the tone of his voice. He said, they have posters, black lights, pipes, and bongs. And he paused and he really emphasized emphasized the word bongs. Because I'm pretty sure he had no idea what they were. And uh, I just listened. Thought, oh, that is shocking. Come to our little town. What was the address again on that, Dad? <laughs> We're going to have a great conversation coming up with Adam White. He's with the American Enterprise Institute and uh, and happens to be one of the biggest experts on the Supreme Court in general all the way around. With the uh, Scalia Law School at George Mason University as well, which is one of the great bastions of sanity in the wasteland of wackadoo American universities. So, so a refreshing voice. What is packing the court with Joe, which Joe Biden wouldn't answer the question yesterday, whether or not he's uh, willing to go there. What does that even mean? Well, we're going to find out here in just a couple of minutes. Armstrong and Getty. The Armstrong and Getty Show. You know, we're working very hard when getting a third Supreme Court justice. I'm going to announce who that is. The only thing I'll say for the women, it will be a woman. To discuss all matters Supreme Court, it's a great pleasure to welcome back to the Armstrong and Getty Show, Adam White, the resident resident scholar at the American Enterprise Institute. Uh, Adam focuses on American constitutionalism, the Supreme Court, the administrative state, and is also assistant professor of law and director of the C. Boyd and Gray Center for the Study of the Administrative State at the Antonin Scalia Law School, one of the great law schools in America at George Mason University. Mr. White, how are you, sir? I'm good, thanks. You got to take some deep breaths in, the, in that yeah. long, oh, yeah. that long business card. Thank I, you. I do it short. I declare Adam the smartest person on the Supreme Court in America. Well, that's <laughs> and that's what you are, brief and uh, and lovely. So, hey, why don't we start with why is interest in and partisanship over the Supreme Court at such a fever pitch these days in a way that it really wasn't in in decades past? Well, it's because of what the court's done in the decades since then. And Justice Scalia put this really powerfully in one of his dissents in, the abor- in one of the abortion cases. He said that, you know, to the extent justices are worried that the confirmation process is getting out of control, um, they need to take a look at themselves and understand that the, the bigger of a footprint that the Supreme Court puts on American politics by deciding issues that are better left to the political process, the more that the political process will pull the court into itself. And that's what we have now, especially when people are, 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 are when people think that, that Roe v. Wade might someday be at stake. So did the, did the court change, did the public attitudes change, or did the Senate change in that we used to confirm these people 98 to nothing, 100 to nothing, 97 to 2, that sort of thing, and now it's, you know, a fight to the death. It's a knife fight in an alley. 
I'd say the court changed first, then the people, and then the Senate caught up. I'd say okay. that the court changed first in expanding all sorts of rights that aren't written in the Constitution, like in Roe v. Wade and other cases. I'd say that the left started to put much more emphasis on the court as a political tool. And we, then we saw you know, Ted Kennedy and others declare war on Robert Bork in 1987. That was the real turning point. I think Republicans took a little while to catch up. They never really declared war on – I mean, they never have declared war on on Ginsburg, Breyer, Sotomayor, and Kagan the way that Democrats have to Bork, Thomas, uh, Kavanaugh. They even went after David Souter before they realized he was going to be a liberal justice. I'd say that then finally Republican senators decided we need to take this stuff really, really seriously, too. Well, and I suppose we could mention that the Congress is in the habit of passing grand and glorious legislation that's also very, very vague and then lets the court interpret, uh, you know, their grand and glorious implementation. Yeah, there's no shortage of that, too. I spend, you know, plenty of time teaching administrative law and warning about that problem. So yesterday, Joe Biden was asked if he's president, is he in favor of packing the court? He wouldn't answer that question because he said it'd be a distraction. What is packing the court? How, what would it look like? And, you know, what's the likelihood of it? Sure. Okay. Packing the court is adding justices. We have nine justices. The court's been that size for about 150 years. That's not written in the Constitution. The Constitution doesn't say anything about it. Originally, the court was six members. It's been as large as 10. But since about the Civil War, we've been at nine. That could be changed any time by ordinary legislation. Congress could create Supreme Court seats the way that it, you know, it could print money. Uh, we don't do that for a good reason, because the stability of the court's an important thing. And once you make that move, once a Congress and a, a fit of partisan peak adds seats to the court, we all know what happens. The next time the tables are turned, the other side will add seats. And pretty soon we have a court of 15, 17 members. It looks less like a court of law and more like a miniature Senate. We call it court packing because that's what it was called when President Franklin Delano Roosevelt tried to do it or threatened to do it in the 1930s in his own fit of peak over the Supreme Court striking down a couple of New Deal statutes. Back then, uh, the, the, the proposal was so radioactive uh, that everybody in the political process immediately rose up and said, no, this must not be done. It's been, to call it a third rail since then would be an understatement. It's worse than a third rail. And the fact that Democrats about two years ago started talking about it, I think really showed how far beyond the beyond they've gone. And I think that it would be, if they were to push that button uh, after, uh, say, taking over the White House and the Senate, it would utterly destroy the Supreme Court as a credible institution. Well, how, and I think how, that it needs to be avoided. Yeah, so I mean, I feel like we do that. We are speaking of rails. We're really off the rails at that point. Um, how difficult is it to do? Is it just a majority vote in the House and Senate and the president signs it, or what is it? That's it. That's it. The Supreme Court, the Congress can just pass a law like any other laws and just amend the statute. I don't have the statute in front of me that says how many seats the court has, but you just strike out nine and write in wow. 11, and, and that's it. And, and in fact, they don't. If, if they get rid of the filibuster, then it's just a bare majority of the House and the Senate at a moment in time wow. adds seats. Yeah. How concerned are you that we are entering an era where that sort of thing is is being um, not only contemplated but done and to hell with the union, to hell with the country? Well, I'm profoundly worried about it. I, I think that the greatest constitutional crisis of our time is just one of utter, the utter lack of self-restraint by our political actors 
and by uh, so much of, of the public that really rallies them to go to a, abusive extents just in support of whatever policy they favor at, at the moment. I think it's profoundly dangerous. You know, you know what bothers me about it is that Democrats have done a great job, I think, and, you know, and the media helps that along, but the Democrats have done a great job of making it seem like you do this crazy thing and we're going to do this crazy thing. Well, the crazy thing the Republicans are talking about doing is 100% constitutional. I mean, it's not out of bounds at all. Yeah, it's, it's not. All they're trying to do is fill the seat. Now, here's, here's the but, okay? Here's the but. The but is... As much of in favor of the Garland inaction that I was, I was totally on board with them not voting on Garland. I think the way, the extent to which they really emphasized this new rule about not voting on Supreme Court confirmations during an election year, I really wished at the time they hadn't said that. And I really <laughs> wish now they hadn't said it, because while they are totally in the right to do what they are doing, there is there is this 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 debate surrounding the honesty or dishonesty of Republican senators that I think looks terrible, and I really worry that it's going to undermine not just their own credibility. They're politicians. They can give away their credibility whenever they want. I'm really worried that, that the stench of that is going to stick to the, whatever great judge gets nominated, mm. and it'll follow them to the court. And I think while politics is brutal, and it always has been, I think one of the things we need to keep in mind is that politics surrounding the Supreme Court needs to have an extra measure of self-restraint for the good of the court because we need it for the good of the rule of law. Adam White is with the American Enterprise Institute and George Mason University. Uh, what do you think of the principle of uh, choosing court uh, new justices according to the dying wishes of the previous justices? <laughs> yeah, it's, you, you know what? I'm not going to speak ill of the dead. No, certainly but, not. No. Uh, but I, We're I think speaking that, ill of know, the, the living <laughs> that take dying wishes as serious. I'll say... Justice Ginsburg, from time to time, ran into trouble for getting too engaged in the political process, particularly with respect to President Trump. I really regret that she, her her last statement was one calling for a, quote, new president to name the next Supreme Court justice. I just think that's that's really not a, a statesmanlike word, a message from a, a Supreme Court justice, and, and it's not her call. Right. Uh, let's move on to some of the women being discussed for the opening. Uh, Amy Coney Barrett, obviously, Barbara Lagoa, and I don't know to what extent the rumor mill is accurate, but any thoughts on uh, those two women in particular? So I, I really don't know anything about Barbara Lagoa. She's she's not been sort of on the radar of the areas of law that I tend to focus on. Um, Amy Coney Barrett obviously was thrust into the spotlight when Diane Feinstein at the last confirmation hearing for when, when Barrett was going on the lower court, you know, Feinstein said that, she had too much dogma. That Barrett had too much dogma. Really, to call it thinly veiled is to give it too much credit. Just a blunt attack on on her on Judge Barrett's Catholic faith. That was horribly offensive. And I think that the extent to which Judge Barrett really rose above that situation and and and, and prevailed is to her great credit. Her scholarship on how to read statutes and how to balance the reading of statutes against the reading of precedents is, I think, among the, the most fundamentally important issues of the next 25 years in the Supreme Court. And so I think Judge Barrett, for a variety of reasons, is probably the ideal candidate for this moment in time. Some of the other names that have floated around, uh, Judge Britt Grant of the, uh, one of the lower federal courts down in Georgia. I've known her since she was in the Attorney General's office down there. She's a really great lawyer, extremely smart and sharp. I'm glad to see her name on the list as well. 
So this is a uh, you'll have to use some judgment on this question because I I don't know the answer to this. The court with Ruth Bader Ginsburg on it. If you're looking at a football field and the 50 yard line is right in the middle between liberal or conservative, where was the court with her on it to which how far to the right or left? Oh, that's hard to say. I'm, I'm, I'm from a Big Ten school, and we don't do football anymore. Um, <laughs> yeah, me too. Very brave. I, uh, I uh, so so this this re- replacing Judge Ginsburg with say Barrett or somebody in a similar vein is going to move them. If we were at the 50 yard line before, we're moving over to about the 45, 40 yard line in the conservative direction. Okay. There's an opportunity to change some precedents that the that liberal justices had laid down in earlier years. But also, this is really important. We could avoid some bad precedents that might've been made with just the changing of a couple of seats in a liberal direction, especially in areas of uh, religious liberty, where Justice Ginsburg really was at the forefront of trying to trim back the Religious Freedom Restoration Act and pull back some of the protections that religious believers have in the face of progressive uh, administrative state regulations. Um, I think that's going to be a crucial area for, for Judge Barrett or any other new appointee to the court to really avoid a dangerous turn. I know it's not in the Constitution that you need to have 60 votes to become uh, a Supreme Court justice. Did you like it better when the threshold was higher than just a majority? Or do you think a majority is fine? I wouldn't say I liked it. I, I definitely didn't like it better at the time um, because it was blocking some good judges in the George W. Bush administration. It's hard for me to, to put myself back in that mindset. I think the, the voting threshold is really less important than the process Okay. Um, in general. I think, I think ultimately the Senate gets to decide how the Senate does business in terms of the votes. I think the more that the Senate can do to create a credible process that really does, I mean, bad pun, but does justice to the gravity of this particular issue, the appointment of Supreme Court justices, that's a good thing. You mean like accusations of gang rape and that sort of thing? Well, right. That's the problem is you don't want to belabor the process just for the sake of character assassination. That was disgusting. Uh, And it's it's something that Republican senators have never, never done. Um, But I, I, I would say that trying to trying to to race a confirmation through before election day, like you're the, the, the Dukes of Hazard trying to, to outrun Roscoe P. Coltrane. That's just a bad, it's just, it just doesn't do justice to the, the gravity of the situation. I've, oh, I've, boy. I mean, I've written on this for the bulwark in a piece that I know is pretty out of step with, with my conservative friends. I, I think that they should do justice to the process, even if it means voting after election day, even if President Trump loses. I think that the process, especially for this seat, I think the American people deserve to get to know this nominee the right way and not in a hurried or, 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 or other otherwise problematic way. By the way, your writings on Duke and Duke versus Coltrane, incredibly insightful. Adam White with the American Enterprise Institute. All right, final question. We got to go there, I guess. It's obligatory. Um, Roe v. Wade, it's just an exhausting discussion to me. What are the chances a conservative court would actually overturn it? In the next 10 years, it's hard to imagine. I'd say in the next 25 years, not hard to imagine. It's a, it, it, it'll take a process of case-by-case, case, narrowing the precedent, and really getting down to the core abortion right, and then making the big decision. But along the way, it's going to require a cultural change and cultural outreach. It's the most one of the most important issues of our time. There's a great line from a liberal law professor, the problem with Roe v. Wade, it's not that it's 
bad constitutional law, it's that it doesn't even pretend to be constitutional law. It's had the worst gravitational pull on everything around our court and our politics for more than 40 years. And I think the moment that it's overturned will be a good moment. Adam White, resident scholar of the American Enterprise Institute and with the Antonin Scalia Law School at George Mason University. Adam, it is always a pleasure. Thanks a million for the time. You too. Well done. The Armstrong and Getty Show. By the way, the headline of the day is without a doubt that Mitt Romney's a yes, which gets you to 50 votes, which means Trump's going to get his person on the Supreme Court no matter what. That's just fine. So that's done. In fact, all the wobblers who remained have come out and say, yeah, we're in. Cory Gardner in Colorado, so I guess, was one. So that's done. I'm not sure how this is a political wedge to anybody's advantage for the election at this point, but that's where we are. Yeah, they'll just try to make general hay about, oh, the evil Republicans are going to take away your health care and your right to choose. And just, they'll just mention the Supreme Court thing, I guess. Standard uh, scare tactic. And Trump will mention, look, I get to appoint judges and there might be more. I appoint people you like. But So I think we're at a, we're at a, a wash. I'm not sure it's going to have any effect on the election. No, things come and go so quickly. I mean, I hate to lean on this again, but we had an impeachment that three days after it was over was forgotten. Yep. Just forgotten. It's as if it didn't happen. Hey, uh, do me a favor, Sean. I got a clip I want you to play. How about the 14? 2020 Primetime Emmy Awards were broadcast live last night in an all-virtual ceremony, and it was kind of nice to see that Hollywood's biggest stars and influential tastemakers also have... No idea how to light themselves in a Zoom meeting. Lowest ratings ever, second year in a row. <laughs> Not surprising. Well, there's all kinds of reasons for that. Sure. Yeah. And they're all obvious, so I won't say them. <laughs> that is kind of funny, though. You would expect them to be better at the whole Zoom lighting thing. Yes. Yeah, you'd think they'd take a minute. Lower, too low is better than too bright, I've certainly noticed. Ah. Yes. Depends yeah. how pretty you are. Yeah. I don't know. Yeah. For me, lights off, really. I know some off. of the prettiest people are going with the low lighting. It just It's just a good look. Mm. In, indirect lighting is your friend. You want to bounce the light off of something else and then onto you. Mm-hmm. Having a light shine right in your face just makes you look not the And I look yet. like Rudolph, especially if I do that. It is now my incredible privilege to present Final Thoughts with these morons. Armstrong and Getty. <laughs> Here's your host for Final Thoughts, Joe Getty. We're on the short list of Supreme Court jesters. Let's get a final thought from everybody. Michelangelo presses the buttons in the control room. Michael, final thought. Yeah, next week, Joe Biden at the debate drops his pants and says, Trump claims I got a shot tonight. Well, you're all going to have to give yourself shots if you don't vote for universal health care. <laughs> okay. <laughs> okay. Beautiful. Uh, Positive Sean, our producer, has a final thought for us. The Paso Doble is a fast-paced Spanish military march used by infantry troops. Its speed allowed troops to give 120 steps per minute. This march gave rise to a traditional Spanish dance, a musical genre involving, uh, including both music, or voice and instruments. Okay, so that's what Carol Baskin danced to, that music. Okay, that explains. Carol Baskin. Jack, a final thought for the folks? They snack it. So another big story has come and gone, more or less, in my mind, and not done anything. Not one person in America has changed their opinion on whether or not Trump should be president again. 
We're in the same spot we were a week ago. At least we got dipped, you know, from head to toe in how senators of both parties will flip-flop as need be. Yeah, exactly. And and maybe some dewy-eyed, naive folks among us have gotten hip to that whole thing. Mm. My final thought uh, from our good friend Kemper, who wrote an email, was the neck beard, the chin beard, if you will, the mustacheless beard, was was popularized by Quaker communities as a response to the fancy pants uh, mustaches worn by many members of the military back in the day. And that became tied with militarism and expansion and conquest and that sort of thing. I knew it was the beard of the Quaker, but I didn't know why. That's interesting. Yeah, we can do more of that tomorrow. Kemper, always interesting, informative. Thanks, Kemp. Historical facial hair? We'll yes. do more tomorrow? What about oh, yeah. the mutton chops? We'll go deep on historical facial hair. Yes, indeed. Armstrong and Getty wrapping up another grueling four-hour workday. So many people to thank so little time. Go to armstrongandgetty.com. We have uh, our interview with uh, Mr. White about the Supreme Court as an extra-large podcaster. Will soon. All the podcasts are downloadable there. The videos, the articles we talked about. Armstrongandgetty.com. See you tomorrow. God bless America. You having a good time? Okay, I, I did not say what that. I've sat here for over three hour and 15 minutes. <laughs> that sucks. If you wish to leave, you may. Let me just say how very, very dismaying and disappointing. Not uh, good. And just change the channel from this mesmerizing horror show. We'll be better tomorrow than we were today. Then we heard the words. It's over for me. Adios, mofo. Okay, so we're, we're, you're, we're dismissed, is that correct? Do you want to rephrase uh, what you're doing? They gave him a big fat shot in the ass and 